All right, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for being here. And Father, uh, we just thank you for your word. And I just thank you. Uh, I just pray that we would not only read it, but that we would love it and learn it and live by it, and that it would just be the roadmap for our lives. And we just thank you uh, that you provided it for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just want to, first of all, apologize to all of you. Um, I'm going to start with a verse, Proverbs 16, 9. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And so my plan was for to be here on Wednesday morning, but the Lord had a different idea when my son from Baylor called last Friday and told me about a half-to ceremony that he would want me to be at, uh, he and my husband and I, um, on this very morning, on Wednesday morning. So I apologize I'm not there with you, but um, I'm excited to be with my child. So anyway, I want to start out with, um, the, I just think this is such a great verse from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And I just want us to really soak it in and tear it apart and just see what God wants to teach us from it today. Um, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast, but we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so I think when we think of gifts, it talks about this is a gift of God, you know, it's something we can't really comprehend because we, when we think of gifts, we kind of have these unwritten rules in society. And um, I just want to kind of go over some of those. And you'll, you'll, you may chuckle because we're all guilty of these. And the first one is um, if we give a gift to someone, we only give a gift to someone that we probably expect to get a gift from. The second one is if someone gives you a gift unexpectedly, you should reciprocate that year, even if you had no previous intention of giving that person a gift. When you give someone a gift, you should plan to give that person a gift every year thereafter. Have you been in that rut before? Um, The amount of time and money you spend should be directly proportional to how much you care about that recipient. And um, let's see here. Number five, the gift that you give someone should be equal in monetary value and or personal significance to the one that you receive from the person. And last but not least, my favorite is if you give a gift to a person in one category, such as your neighbor or coworker, you should, give, give, you should give gifts to everyone in that category, and they should be about the same, somewhat similar. So I know we've all gotten in that rut where you give someone a gift because you're in some sort of relationship with them, and then 10 years later, you're still buying them a gift, and you never even see them anymore. And so um, I just think it's interesting, the gift-giving rules that we have in our society. Um, it started out that gift cards became a big deal years ago, and so now we know exactly what someone spends when they give us a gift card. But even more, my niece just had a baby. Now we have the gift registry, not just for weddings, but now we have a gift registry for babies. And so now they not only know exactly what you spent, but they have told you exactly the item that they want. And that includes the name and the brand and the size and the, I mean, all these adjectives, the light up, you know, self-monitor. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. So the gift giving, it's just, kind of, it's just kind of comical now. It's really kind of changed. But for most of us, our gifts really don't cost us that much. It might cost us a little bit of money or a little bit of time. But generally, if we give a gift we, or if we receive a gift, we're able to give one pretty much about the same. But when God sent Jesus to us um, as a replacement for our sin, this was a gift that we, we can't even fully understand. Um, it is very unique, this gift that he sent us. <clears throat> um, first of all, we cannot repay it. There's nothing that we can do to um, work hard enough or to give God back and, and try, try to, to give him back. It's a debt that we absolutely cannot pay. Um, we can't earn this gift from God. 
we can't work hard enough. We can, we can earn a degree or we can earn a wage, but we cannot earn this gift or it wouldn't be a gift at all. Um, we don't deserve it. You know, it's not an award or a medal or an honor. We haven't done anything that really merits us to receive this gift from him. We have a choice to freely accept it. And so as, as I show you this gift today, it's beautifully wrapped and I can put it right here and you can know all about it. You can know the color and the size and the shape, and you may even know what's in it, but you have to receive it or this gift doesn't do you any good. And it's the same from, from Jesus Christ. We can know all about him. We can study, his, study him in the Bible. We can know people that know him. We can pray. We can know all the things that go around it, but to receive him is a whole different deal. And um, we talk about that Jesus, that, that, that he, he gave us a free gift. Well, it may be free to us, but it cost him dearly. And um, it's a price that I don't think any of us could begin to understand. Um, he paid such a, a high price for us. And I would just like to say it's so interesting because we all love comfort. Don't we just love our comfort? And um, I would just like to say that if I were to come to earth, that I would come something like this. I would be, I would be queen of the universe. I wouldn't have come as a small child or a baby. And so, you know, just right there, we love our comfort. I wouldn't want to leave the wonderful place of heaven to come down to earth and I the only way I could even begin to you know quantify that would be as if I changed into a cockroach and went and lived with them I mean it's from it's from it's that magnitude it's a huge magnitude of difference that he did for us and he left his comfort to um, come and save us and I love my comfort and um, but he did that for us the other thing that we all love is we all love our control and my niece had a baby like I said, she had a baby last week, and this precious little infant, I mean, he can't do anything for himself. And so, you know, God could have come as an adult, like Adam and Eve, they came as full-grown people, but he came as a baby, he could, and he couldn't do anything for himself, but he gave that up. He gave up his control to, to come be like that for us. And I think about if I had come, I would have been much more like Samantha on Bewitched, where I could, you know, I want that, I want that. But he didn't do that. He came as a baby, and he wasn't able to do anything for himself. So we love our comfort. We love our control. We also love convenience. And this has been really in my face lately because my microwave is out. Boo-hoo for me, right? And so I had to go all the way to our back house to use it for a whole month till we got the new one replaced in the wall. And the other thing is we got a car, and I've been driving up to Trinity, and I can't use the toll tag because it's brand new. Boo-hoo, right? But we love our convenience. When I have to stop and pay the coins, I'm thinking, oh, how much longer do I have to do this? But we love our convenience. And Jesus, he didn't do the easy thing. He didn't do the quick thing. He didn't do the, fi the quick fix or the, the easy task. He loved us so much that he came in this manner to save us. Um, so God's love really is just too much for us to understand. It's just, it's just too amazing for us to comprehend. We usually like a neat, a neat formula, A plus B equals C. But this doesn't fit the formula. This amazing gift cannot be purchased. It can't be bought. It can't be repaid. And it can't be earned. So as we begin to wrap our arms around this gift that we need to receive, um, th our only requirement really is faith or belief. And we know that um, that, that, is, that is our ticket into heaven, is that we believe Jesus Christ died. And we're going to get to that here in just a minute. But I also want to know that, I also want to say that we go from faith then, then we quickly start hearing about works and action and deeds. And, you know, how does all this fit into it? Is it part of salvation 
or is it not? So I just want to take a few minutes and, and explore that. And so I go to James 2 where it says, What good is it, my brother, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And then it skips on to say, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did? When he offered his son Isaac on the altar, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she offered lodging and sent the spies off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So that's pretty, that's pretty serious talk here. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so we know that deeds are really not a part of our salvation, but when we accept Christ, we are in. We, it's a pass-fail. We, we are in. But the work is finished, <clears throat> and it is free to us, but it did cost him dearly. John 19.30 says, when he had, this is up, Jesus up on the cross, and it says, when he had finished the drink, um, when, he had re- when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The work, the earning, the payment, it has been paid. It is paid in full. We can't earn this gift. If we did, it wouldn't be a gift at all. However, when we love someone, we want to take action. We want to do something for them. I want you to think back to when you were dating your husband or when you had that newborn baby. You wanted to do things for them. You wanted to serve. You wanted to love. You wanted to act. And it was out of passion for them. It wasn't out of obligation, and it wasn't um, a duty. Um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 13.4, is we've all heard it, but I just want you to really focus this, focus this time as you listen to it on the action that is taken here. Um, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Now, all of those things are things that we have to do. They're not, um, they're not sit by and serve me, me, me. It's about me being patient. That takes action. That takes a response. Love is kind. You know, kindness isn't just sitting in a chair waiting. It is going out and doing something. (coughs) It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes, and it always perseveres. Those are all action words. And this is our response now to the love that Christ has shown us. We want to love and serve others. So we don't just sit by and receive, right? Um, Let's look at the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And I want you to look at the verbs here. Um, Action is taken. And again, it's not for the result, but it is out of a response. And um, it's part of the process uh, of loving. It's not for your resume. It's out of a response because you love him. And in verse 7 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear he built an ark. What is that? A verb. 
he built. He went to, he took action and his, his faith was what was in his head, but he took action and responded to God in that way. Um, in, in verse eight, it says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. I love that. We need to all be doing that. He obeyed and went. More action verbs. In verse 17, by faith, Abraham, again, when God tested him, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Again, more action. He took action. His faith was what he believed, but because of that and as a response of love, he took action and offered. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke, and then it goes on, more action. And um, by faith, Moses' parents hid him. More action, and last but not least, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So all of these things are um, action that is taken as a response out of love. And all these, now verse 39 here goes on to say that these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Ah, I just want to go, wait, that can't be in there. I want it to say they were all commended for their faith and they lived happily ever after and they got a big house or they got a great vacation or something wonderful, but it doesn't say that. It says they acted out of love and as a response and God took care of the rest and we just have to trust that. We're not working for an end result. We're not working um, to earn something. We are working as a response to love. And so this is more than our formula brains can handle. Um, but as a response, we want, to give a, we want to give an outpouring of our action or deeds or good works or whatever you want to call it. It's not part of the formula, but it is a response to our love. It's an outpouring. And, you know, we know from 1 John four nineteen that we love because he first loved. We don't, we, we don't even have the capacity to love if he hadn't first loved us. And um, Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So the belief part is the saving part. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So when I think of action, and I think of we believe and we are saved, but as part of that, I want to respond, I think about taking action with my shoes. And so um, there's a verse from Romans 10, 15 that says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And um, so I thought about just my different kinds of action or the different kinds of actions that we can all take as a response to God's love. And some are more pure than others, as you'll see. So I want to start with um, these shoes here. And these are my pretty shoes. And I would wear these shoes like maybe to if Ronnie was in a tuxedo or we were dressed up to go somewhere nice. And they are worn to fancy events. They're not really all that practical. I don't do it very often. And their sole purpose is for me to look good to others. So my question to you is, are your deeds and actions about looking good for other people? Okay, my next shoes are my slippers. I love my slippers. And I wear these to be comfortable. And I don't wear them far from home. I like to be home. And I, their sole purpose is that, so that I will be comfortable and warm. And so I ask you, are your deeds and actions about your comfort? Okay, then my next pair of shoes are my tennis shoes. And I wish I could tell you I love to exercise, but I don't. But I do it because it's an obligation. And so I don't really enjoy the work in them. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. Um, sometimes I do it because I think others expect me to. And so their sole purpose is obligation. So I ask you, are your deeds and actions about fulfilling an obligation? Um, these are my rain boots. And I've gotten to wear these a lot lately. Um, they are worn in bad weather, 
and they're worn to protect me from the outside forces. They provide a barrier so that I won't get wet or uncomfortable, right? And their sole purpose is protecting me. So I ask you, are your deeds and actions about making you not be too uncomfortable? All right, and the, my flip-flops. I love my flip-flops in the summer, and I love to wear these when I'm vacationing. My favorite thing would be to wear these while I'm on a Chase Lounge with a Diet Coke, and don't forget the umbrella. Um, and so I, ask, I wear these when I'm resting and when I am being served, and their sole purpose is for me to enjoy myself. And so I ask you, are your deeds and actions about you enjoying yourself? And I come to our last example, and these are my daughter's point shoes. And um, she wears these because she loves to dance, and she has a passion for dancing. And sometimes she sweats, and sometimes she gets blisters, and sometimes it hurts. But when other people look at her, it's a beautiful thing. And so I ask you, what is your passion for? Um, do you work for something that has a greater purpose? Do you work at something with passion and devotion and love? And then when other people look onto you, they see something beautiful. And so this would be our goal, is for all of us to have our deeds and our actions look like these point shoes that maybe aren't beautiful up close, but they're, they're passionate and they're um, loving. So um, I just want to, at the end of our chapter, it talked about, you know, in conclusion, assurance of salvation. And it caught me because it said, Jesus loves me, this I know. It, just like the song, right? And I thought, so many times what we have going through our mind is Jesus loves me, this I feel. And if I'm not feeling it, then I'm going to ask, Lord, would you just come on in and provide me another mini miracle to remind me? And so I thought, you know, what do, we, what do we do and how do we remember who he is even when things aren't exactly going our way? And a lot of times it'll happen that we'll ask God to intervene and something grand will happen and we'll be like, I'll never forget this and I'll never ask you for anything again. And then what happens? But a week or two later, we're like, oh, uh, you know, addendum here. And so our feelings, they really can't be trusted. We cannot trust our feelings. We can't listen to our heart. We really need to go by what we know. And so um, how can we remember God's faithfulness? How can we remember who he is and um, keep, it, keep it in the forefront of our mind? And one idea is to journal. And I don't necessarily journal, especially bad things, but I, keep, I try to keep a blessing book because sometimes the things that, I, that are such a blessing to me aren't something that I can have a picture of or it's not an item, you know, that I receive, but it's that special feeling of when I'm with my, all my, with my three kids in the car and we're all singing along to the same song. I love that. Or it's a moment that all of a sudden it's like, this, it doesn't get better than this. Thank you, Lord. And so to jot those blessings down and to remember that they are from him and not forget, because I think we forget too easily when we rely on our feelings. Another idea would be just share with others. Share with others your, your blessings and how the Lord is working in your life. And Deuteronomy 4, 9 says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to, your children and to their children after them. And I think sometimes we do forget. We just rely on our feelings. And if we're not feeling it, then we think it's not there, but it is. And so we need to remember that. And... Um, Another thing that I think is really important is to control our thought life. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I think sometimes we need to control our minds. We can't let ourselves, you know, start thinking about the what ifs or this or overanalyzing. 
go to the scripture. And that would be my last way that we want to remember. How do we remember God's faithfulness? Through his word. And I prayed at the beginning that we don't just read it, but that we love it. We fall in love with it and that we live by it and that we memorize it and we study it and we share it. You know, football players have playbooks. And when you go on a trip, you have a, a map or a GPS. This is the playbook. It's in here. It's all in here. And it's alive. So you can read the same passage 25 times and get something different every time because it's God's word. And I, I love it. And I I'm so happy to tell you that I'm at a place where I love his word. And I pray that for you as well because it is alive and, alive and well. So our minds are too volatile. We really can't trust our feelings. And we need to go back to the truth. And the truth is in this book. Um, so I want to, to end with this wonderful, I think it's a, it's a prayer. And I made y'all uh, little bookmarks or you could use them. But it's, it's a beautiful prayer. And I just want to I, I end with this. It's called the prayer, it's called the fellowship of the unashamed. And I think it really sums up our lesson. We've talked about, we've talked about the, the amazing gift from God. We've talked about our actions matching up with our beliefs. And we've talked about the assurance of Christ and um, knowing what is true through his word and not relying on our feelings. So how do we want to live by that? And I think this sums it up great. <clears throat> the, die has ca- the die has been cast. The decision has been made. I have stepped up over the line. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right first tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, love with patience, live by prayer, and labor with power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, or slow up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and spoken up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will, know, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner is clear. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. And I love that, and I pray that for our lives. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word, and thank you that we can live a life that shows this to other people, our love for you, and may our actions um, match up with our words and with our beliefs. In Jesus' name, amen.